I think it's also protecting your own ego because you're not really sure how mm-hmm. to teach this because you're not even sure how it works. And you're, you, you're embarrassed to think that at the age of 40 or 50, that you still don't understand how credit card interest is computed and your, and your kid is asking about it. It's like that new math, you know, and when the kid comes up to you and they're like, how do I do this? I don't even know. I have no idea. I should know this. Now you're like poking my ego as a parent going like, I should know this. And now I feel ashamed. Every little step helps to shift that mindset into one that is open to learning. And therefore, I think that that stuff will come back to you when you start adapting to the habits that will start generating that for you. Over the course of my life and career, I've discovered the power of consciously investing in mindset and personal development. It has been a true game changer for me in my personal and professional life. And I'm extremely excited that you decided to join us today to take one step forward in your own life. Most of my breakthroughs have come from one-on-one conversations. We created this show to bring you those unfiltered conversations each and every week. Good afternoon and welcome to The Connected Mindset. I'm your host, Greg Tomchik. Looking forward to this discussion today. Definitely take out your notebooks. You're gonna have some things to walk away with, either as business owners or folks who are trying to improve their financial life on the personal side. We have Ms. Shannon Weinstein joining us today. Very thankful for her time and what she puts out into the world. So looking forward to the discussion. Shannon, where I want to start this this conversation is what does the audience really need to understand about the younger Shannon to now understand where you're at today and what you're putting out into the world? Well, thank you, Greg. I appreciate it. And I love that question because it does shape so much of what we do and how we show up. And a really important part of the younger Shannon is that she always had the heart of a teacher. And my biggest passion is for teaching other people what I've learned and passing that knowledge on because when I was younger, my dad had the ability to teach me about money. He was a CPA. And all the way back to when I was 11 or 12 years old, he taught me about you know how to balance a checkbook or I got my first job at 14 and he taught me everything I need to know about taxes and why I didn't make as much money as I thought I did. And why, uh, you know, why it's so important to invest your money and understanding interest in credit cards and stuff like that when I was very young so that I had a mentality around them and understood the mechanics of them. And then they had less power over me when it came to understanding them in my adult life. I love that. One of the things we were talking about before the show was language. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, in in your opinion, how powerful is language to shape how we take action on a daily basis? Language is everything. It's how we share ideas and thoughts with each other. It's how we we externalize what's internal. So I think that language means a whole lot. And and unfortunately, a lot of the times with, when it comes to language, the message that's being sent isn't what's being received. And that comes into translation. And whether it be literal different languages or just because somebody doesn't have the same background as you, you're using jargon or you're using terms that just aren't familiar to them. And that can create a whole set of emotions and how they shape how they're receiving that message. So I think it's really important. Yeah, I love that. One of the things I try to tell folks that I'm coaching 
is because I was an economics major and originally in my career and kind of did some economist type stuff is we all understand equity from, you know, when you look into investments and if you look at your life from an assets and liabilities standpoint, like things that elevate and create value versus things that take away, that creates the ultimate value that you're trying to convey, you know, whether it's a business or a personal transaction. So I think that type of language just doesn't happen very frequently, um, especially to younger people. I think a lot of parents keep that from them to try to keep them out of the real world discussion because you're trying to kind of protect, you know, protect your own, protect the kid. You know, why do you think people struggle to have the conversations that early on, you know, like your dad gave you that gift to understand the language that you're going to need to know going forward? Yeah, I think it's actually a mix of things too, Greg. I think it's actually a bit of that, but I think it's also protecting your own ego because you're not really sure how mm -hmm. to teach this because you're not even sure how it works. And you're, you, you're embarrassed to think that at the age of 40 or 50, that you still don't understand how credit card interest is computed and your, and your kid is asking about it. It's like that new math. You know, and when, when the kid comes up to you and they're like, how do I do this? Like, I don't even know. I have no idea. I should know this. Now you're like poking my ego as a parent going like, I should know this. And now I feel ashamed. So I think that we're trying to also protect ourselves from that, that feeling of shame by avoiding it. And I think that creation of avoidance and what maybe our parents did that with us, right? Some people who are listening are like, yeah, that's how I feel. Like my parents have never talked about this. And I said, that might just be a pattern. And then what you have to do is reconstruct the conversation and just kind of neutralize that conversation into just regular old talk and not putting a ton of emotion around it and easier said than done. But I think that's a lot of what's going on too with these conversations is the parents just aren't confident in talking to their kids about it. Yeah, it's spot on. And do you feel that financial discussions are more logical than emotional or they kind of have a blend of, of both of those? type of parallels that we bring to the table because a lot of people when they talk about finances is typically a negative emotional type output. Um, how do you feel about the difference between that logical discussion and the emotional side when it comes to financial? I think a lot of the times it is emotional, but I think it's in the eye of the beholder. I think that when I think that to me, when you can turn in that emotional discussion into a logical discussion, you strip away a lot of the associations and you're more willing to have that conversation because you're neutralizing the emotion around it. And it just becomes, how's the weather? You know, mm -hmm. it's as neutral as how's the weather, what's going on outside. You know, I would say the news, but we know that's never neutral, but it's always, you know, a question of, are we stating it as facts or are we stating it as feelings? And really money can be factual, but there's also a lot of feelings tied to it. And I think the more that you can speak in factual terms and you can believe that these things are facts of life and they're just part of your knowledge base, the bricks that comprise your knowledge around this, the better off you'll be to strengthen that conversation and to disassociate from a lot of the, a lot of the negative emotions. Absolutely. And I think there's a lot of symptoms to financial, right? It's like we don't have enough. And if you have that deficiency mindset, you're never going to have enough, but while you don't have enough, you can't provide what you want to have. And there's so much that goes through the mind from a hurricane standpoint. You know, where do you feel the root causes? Do you think it's the conversation? Do you think it's really just starts with the understanding? Like, how do you get people in the right mindset who have such this, this baggage in their mind of what it really means to be financially well or financially fit? Um, where do you kind of start in that process to clear the air? 
Yeah, I love that you use the term financially fit because I, I completely use this analogy of, you know, uh, fitness, weight loss, whatever it may be, because this is a very common feeling of emotion. And something I can relate to as somebody who struggled with their weight is the, I want to be thinner. I want to fit in my clothes better. I want, I, I can want as hard as I want, right? But what am I willing to do about it? And how am I willing to change my relationship with that process? Because I think that the biggest issue is that we have this obligatory relationship where we're forcing ourselves into habits we don't necessarily want or we're not accustomed to or we're not really connected to in a way. And no matter how big our why is, if we cannot enjoy the process to get to our goal, then it will be temporary and it will be suffering. So I think that what we have to do is convert that into figuring out a way to enjoy the process and to make it our own. For me, my weight loss journey was discovering Zumba because I'm like, yay, I get to listen to Latin dance music. I get to dance around. I don't feel like I'm exercising. So that was the gateway for me. And I go for most people with their finances, there's going to be a gateway habit. There's going to be something you can do to just start the conversation and to enjoy the process a little bit more, whether that's starting a business, you know, on a light, lighter end or, you know, tackling something new and challenging yourself by getting educated, signing up for a course and doing something that you enjoy in the process. Maybe it's listening to an audiobook while you walk just to learn a little bit more. The every little step helps to shift that mindset into one that is open to learning. And therefore, I think that that stuff will come back to you when you start adapting the, to the habits that will start generating that for you. Yeah, it's definitely a it's a mid and long term benefit. You know, when you start to talk about the financial equation as a professional athlete, you know, my, in my previous life, um, we always like to say we train the body so that it's not disobedient to the mind. So it kind of so when you get to that point of struggle then and the mind wants to quit your body just keeps going and <clears throat> that's one of those things that i think from the financial side it's so important because when things get hard you just want to like give up or go bankrupt or you know take these extreme type measures to just wipe it off the table and oftentimes you can't do that um so i want to dive a little bit into the business side because most of our audience are business owners um you know they're either starting a company they have you know, a couple years under their belt or they're already at the point where they're financially well enough to have that scalability where they have some certainty but they're always chasing that next step of financial freedom financial wellness um you know what is enough from a financial standpoint in your opinion when it comes to being a business owner i mean <laughs> there's never enough and everything's enough all at the same time. Right. Yeah. So it's, it, it that is going to be completely customized by a person in terms of what's enough. But I will say that there are certain things that we should be striving for that, because I think we're a lot misdirected as business owners in terms of what we're striving for. We look at these revenue numbers, we look at certain vanity metrics, and we're, we're chasing these, these kind of goals that are just not, in my opinion, the right metrics. If I were to use that fitness analogy or the athletic analogy again, it's like chasing a number on the scale, but not your body composition or not your abilities, right? So as a professional athlete, you would measure your performance based on how well you accomplish the functional things you need to do in your game, right? So if it's you're able to win or you're able to, you know, um, to have high cardiovascular health, for example, like the weight on the scale doesn't really dictate that. So, but I think we get distracted by these like common metrics that people like to broadcast, like their revenue numbers or their all-time revenue numbers, their follower accounts, whatever it may be. 
And that is not necessarily indicative of your success as a business owner. And I think you have to get in touch with what is the right, what are the right metrics you should be looking at that will truly measure your health and based on what your goals actually are for your business. Because for some people, it's cash flow. For some people, it's growth and we're going to sell the business at a high valuation. You have to really understand what the purpose of your business is and then how to track if you're successful in that endeavor. Absolutely. Yeah. And I like to go back to the systems over willpower because a lot of people try to use their willpower to power through and get them to that financial point. But you have to have those systems. And I think it's better to have them from the start of a company to have that clarity that you just hit on. Um, how do you help folks establish? I know every business is different and they're all going after different metrics, but are there a couple kind of key systems that you recommend each business have to make sure that they're, they have visibility into their financials, but are also in a position to succeed? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I look at it as a series of systems and, and, and very basically put, you need a way to get paid, <laughs> mm -hmm. number one. So you need a way for people to pay you. You need a way to deliver what you as you do, and you need a way to keep track of what's going on. So for from uh, from a system standpoint, one of the biggest things is having a bookkeeping system. And a bookkeeping system is really simply put, you know, it could be a QuickBooks or a Zero. It could be a piece of software, which I recommend because we live in 2023 and beyond. And this is what's expected at this point is we're pretty much on our phones all the time and we're tracking stuff through softwares. Uh, but I mean everything down to a notebook or a spreadsheet is okay. Tracking is better than not tracking. It's all about what you will do consistently based on your existing habits. And then we'll grow from there. But I would say a system in place to keep track of what's going in and out of your business so that you have that data is crucial, especially because you wanna have a lot of historical data. So even if you're not doing a ton with that data in your business today as a brand new business owner, you're gonna want that data two or three years from now to look at historical and to be able to know what happened and notice patterns, notice trends, and be able to make decisions in your business based on all that data. So the sooner you can start collecting it, the better. I love that. You mentioned zero. A lot of people just talk about QuickBooks and I think QuickBooks has gotten so big that you don't really have that, like, we, we, we need a new feature specific for our business. We want to go get it. Do you have other system recommendations for folks besides QuickBooks? Those are the two big ones, QuickBooks or Xero, which is spelled with an X, by the way. Okay. Um, you know, QuickBooks and Xero integrate with most platforms. They're kind of the, the Pepsi and Coke, if you will, mm -hmm. of the, the bookkeeping world. And Intuit is really trying to integrate everything from all their different point solutions. And Zero is starting to integrate with more other providers. So uh, those are really the top two, I think, not only in terms of availability, but in terms of support. Like, for example, if you hire a professional to come in and help you with bookkeeping, it is advantageous to be in a solution that they probably already know and already work on with several other clients so that there's less of a learning curve for them to get to know your business and your platform. Mm -hmm. Yeah, QuickBooks has definitely become like the unified language, it seems like, for for small, medium, even some large companies um, from that standpoint. So definitely two good options. Um, one of the things that I get asked a lot about when it comes to mindset and, and where it intersects with financial is around transparency. As a business owner, I've tried to, because I didn't get this in previous companies that I worked with, tried to be like, here's our books, here's our profit numbers, you know, here's how much money you make for the company. Where do you feel like that conversation is at? And are there any 
kind of limits you feel that transparency needs to be stopped to make sure that everybody is, I guess, mentally sane on where the company's at? Yeah, I feel like this can go in different directions in a good and a bad way. So mm -hmm. transparency is awesome, but transparency requires understanding on the part of the person who's sharing and, and the ability to message it properly. So that's what I would invest in doing is there's transparency and then there's you know, I, I want to say transparency comes in two different flavors. One is here are the books, look at them and interpret them as you will. And the other form is transparency in presenting a message, but using the books to support it. So my, I like the latter, which will be obvious, but what I would recommend people do is first look at their own financials and make sure they fully understand the story that's being told, because then you are going to relay that story the way that you want to for your employees or for your team or for whomever. And you have to make sure that you're really clear on the story. It's telling, not just showing. I mean, how many times have we seen a PowerPoint presentation where the person just reads off the slides and we're like, dude, we can read yeah. like you could, this could have been an email, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> I can have AI read it to me, you know? Yeah. So it's, it's as simple as I, I want to understand what I should take away from this. What is the message you're trying to convey? What's the story? Where do I fit into this? And what are my action steps? What's in it for me? So I think if you can articulate that, you'll be successful. Uh, I have a client who they share their P&L with their staff because they want to empower the staff and hold them accountable to certain metrics. So they actually have an entire team member who is like the chief of revenue. And so that revenue number is they are responsible for everything that falls under that revenue number. and and articulating the strategy on how to improve it based on our goals. So they actually craft the goals, they come up with the strategy and they say, this is what we're gonna be working on from a sales and marketing standpoint. I'm working with the marketing team, I'm working with the sales team, and I am solely responsible for growth of sales. And I love having that accountability at a metric level. It could be customer retention, it could be uh, you know, labor percentages, it could be whatever the metric is for you guys. And actually assigning that and saying, this is gonna be your scorecard. you know given they have control over that, <laughs> how much control they have over it. But I love having the P&L uh, profit and loss statement and having the financial statements actually be something that empowers people to take action and they can use it to interpret and understand whether they're moving toward their goal or away from it. And it really gets everyone more involved in the business and has them have a stake and a you know skin in the game to understand how things are going as opposed to operating from this place of blindness mm -hmm. and just be taking orders and actions from somebody else. Now they understand the why behind it and how their actions drive actual results and how they can actually drive more revenue for the company and be a more valued employee. So depending on the mindset of the recipient, I think this can be super powerful. Yeah. I love that you mentioned story because people connect to stories and the person conveying that financial story if they don't understand it, it's going to convolute how the audience understands it. Um, we in the cybersecurity world, we talk a lot about your security story. So like connecting that to your folks so that they have relevance and then telling that to your customers so that they understand how you're doing your due diligence to make them a little bit more protected. So I think those stories are critical. Um, is that one of the offerings that you guys have as a company where, hey, we'll help you come and tell that? financial story so that your folks are all on the same sheet of music? Yeah, I mean, that's what we do with CFOs, right? So we'll help author that story with you, with our founder. We'll help articulate and tell that story if we need to, but we love the idea of training the founder to be able to do that by empowering them with the story because most of the time it trickles down from the founder 
And if you're listening to this and you run a business and you're like, I can't tell that story. I know that's why we're here. So we help the founder and train them on how to read the financials to understand the story it's telling what we see. And then they kind of develop this ability to see the same thing. It's one of those things where you don't notice something until someone points it out and now you can't unsee it. Right. Mm -hmm. So now they're noticing these different elements of their financials and going, oh, wow, I didn't think of it this way before, but now I'm paying attention to this. So then they can articulate it to their staff. And that's the most empowering thing is when we can train them to do that and empower them. Um, but yes, we absolutely help with that too, with our clients. And um, I offer a, um, I have a membership for early stage business owners where they can come to me and ask questions. They can even bring their financials on a monthly basis to us. And we can say, here's what we see. So we can start developing that mindset of how to look at your financials in a more empowering way than looking at that, looking at them as intimidating. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. What is the membership that you offer called? CFO on demand. Um, it's a low cost monthly membership for early stage business owners who just need that support, but maybe can't afford or don't need the full service of a fractional CFO. Awesome. Yeah, that's a great resource for folks listening in um, to be able to have access to experts and ask those hard to ask questions when somebody doesn't really understand potentially your business. But there are a lot of commonalities a lot of times, but I think a lot of it starts with mindset and I'm sure that's what you're primarily teaching, which is incredible. And then taking action on that mindset, you know, that's obviously a huge one um, in our worlds. When it comes to AI, um, you know, I think a lot of people are still shocked by AI. They're trying to find ways to monetize it. How has AI impacted the financial industry and how are you guys kind of leveraging it to streamline certain things? Oh man, there's so much impact happening, but to go along with the theme of mindset, I think the biggest impact has been on the mindset of accountants. Yeah. Um, they're all terrified. <laughs> <laughs> and it's it's rightfully so because this is a disruption. So what's happening is, uh, I'll, I'll talk about it from the standpoint of the, the businesses we work with, but also the accounting industry, because that's a really interesting uh, development that's happening is AI is coming through and all the accountants are kind of scared going, oh my God, AI can do a tax return. AI can pass the CPA exam. Oh my God, AI is coming for my job. And we thought it would be coming for other jobs. Like the robots would be coming for the mechanical jobs. Oh no, the AI is coming for the quote unquote white collar jobs. They're coming for the creatives. They're coming for the artists. They're coming for the accountants. And then we're like, uh-oh. But then in reality, if you look at it a different way, I look at it as a massive opportunity because I'm sure somebody said this about Microsoft Excel at one point. Come on. And I was like, and now we live and die by Excel. Like that is the favorite tool in the toolkit of an accountant. And I said, this is going to be the next iteration of that, where it is our favorite tool in our toolbox, but we are still the carpenter. And there has to be a human to operate the tool. And there has to be somebody who knows the prompts, that knows how the answers, how to interpret the answers, and also how to communicate with customers and how to be a human because AI doesn't know that you had a really crappy day and it's really not a good day to tell you that you owe $75,000 in taxes, like that you're not gonna receive that well and that's gonna be a detrimental mindset shift for you. Whereas I can come to the table and ask, hey, how are you doing today? What's going on? And I can use judgment to say, hey, based on the tone, based on everything here, I don't think I should talk about this. Now, can AI do that? Actually, maybe. But I still think that the human element is something we're going to crave. So I don't think AI is going to really 
eliminate or completely disrupt the accounting industry um, as long as we're shifting what we're focusing on more to communication and less to the paperwork. But uh, on the business front, I would say AI is providing amazing technology and tools for us to use to analyze financial statements and data and help turn that into decisions faster. So I, I completely embrace it. We're actually using it in our company and we have a dedicated team member, a consultant who's helping us integrate AI into nearly everything we do and also learn from a safety standpoint how we can use it without compromising any PII or we can you know, do it in a very safe way uh, you know, with the permission of our clients. So it's been awesome. Yeah, that's that's huge. And I love that mindset. You know, it's not a fear based mindset. It's opportunistic, which I feel the same way about AI from, you know, people have said AI is going to take over cybersecurity and, you know, everybody's, you know, these these robots are going to monitor people's systems and give them all the information. It's just it's just not going to happen because that communication, that human element has to be there to say, here's how you should prioritize it and here's what you actually do and making sure it's not going to shock the culture. Like AI is just going to say, go do this. And it doesn't matter how people feel about it. So you have to have that balance. And I think that's an incredible perspective on it. You hit on a little bit of, of the tax side of things. I'm sure that's a huge question that you guys get. Obviously tax laws are changing. And I think, you know, that's one of the areas that, that I feel my CPA really excels at is keeping up with that. Cause I don't want to do that um, as a business right. owner. Where do you feel like tax regulation is and where do you feel people should focus from a business owner's ownership standpoint to understand taxes and how to optimize kind of your tax profile? Yeah, I have a very uh, I have a very specific opinion when it comes to like certain tax optimization strategies. I fundamentally believe that you should never pay a dollar more than you legally owe and you should use the tax law in your favor. Now, there's a lot of folks who quote unquote play in the gray. And within, with, to some extent, when a really good business case can be made and we have good documentation, I love playing in the gray. But there are some folks who spend a ton of time and energy just to play in the gray to implement a strategy that, to be honest with you, after the amount of time spent to implement said strategy and to maintain it and to kind of keep the story going of what they're doing, they're spending so much time and energy on it that if they had redirected that time and energy into the earning activities, they actually would have made more money net of the taxes they would have paid. So I always have to look at this as the cost benefit of, yes, but what will it take to save that money in taxes? Because you're walking over dollars to pick up dimes. Mm -hmm. And I want to make sure that we're not missing opportunities here because you're so busy implementing this creative strategy that you've now signed up for, that you're adding responsibilities to your deck. And you may even need to hire help to help you implement this. And it's counteracting all of the effects that you want it to have. So I think that when people think one dimensionally about tax strategies as tax minimization, I think that we lose a lot of the other aspects of what it takes to accomplish that. And also you have to keep in mind with tax minimization also comes the loss of purchasing power. And for a couple of reasons, one is if you want to go get a loan and I've had this happen with a client of mine before she was actually, before she was working with me, she was quote unquote hiding 50 grand of income that came in through cash and she didn't report it on her taxes. Now, mistake or intentional, I'm not one to judge, right? But what ended up happening was she went to go apply for a loan that she could very well afford with the money she was actually making, but was just was um, denied the mortgage and was heartbroken that she lost her dream home. And I said, well, because we have to stick to the story. And if you want to stick to the story that I'm, I don't make any money because I don't want to pay taxes, 
then you have to stick with the story and you don't make enough money to afford your dream home. So you lose a lot of the purchasing power and you have to make sure that you're comfortable with the story that you're telling in that tax return, because that really is just the story of how your money spent the year. Yeah, I love that. And that, that goes back to the financial story that I think is important. Um, one of the areas and the building I'm within has a startup incubator on the bottom floor and then a couple sophisticated companies, you know, as the floors go up, it's a pretty cool environment to be a part of. Um, one of those companies in the building puts their financials on a, on a whiteboard every day and like the employees see it. And it's just like, it's a shock to everybody's perspective um, from that standpoint. So I think they're kind of trying to lead the way in that aspect. And in the past, every company has kind of just left it very hidden and, you know, we'll, we'll figure out the financials. We'll make sure you're paid. Um, but then people get fired all of a sudden and everybody's like, what the heck? You know, I didn't think I was, I thought I, my job was stable and we were in a good position. Um, but that goes back to the, that, that hiding culture that we're so, um, e you know, equipped with as a young person when it's being held by our parents or like it, they don't, they may not understand it fully, so they don't know how to describe it. So I think it's almost a cultural shift that a lot of companies are trying to get to, um, but it's hard to, where do you feel the best place to start that discussion from? I've been hiding this for 20 years in my business. Now I wanna bring it out to the 100, 200 folks that are in our company and kind of shock the system a little bit, but be honest about why I've hidden it and why we're not gonna hide it going forward. Well, I think there's also, depending on what type of organization you have, there's a way to do it thoughtfully, where I would also deploy it to a managerial tier first and get kind of an initial reaction from a savvier crowd. Because if the savvy crowd doesn't understand it, sure as hell, the staff won't. And I think that if you also empower the managerial staff or like a, a middle tier with the narrative first and you prep them and then you deploy all that then they're empowered to talk to their staff and their teams and to become that resource for them to actually have these team conversations around their numbers. And I think that's really powerful too. So I think there's a way to do it really tactfully. Now, posting a whiteboard with all your financials, like that could work, but there has to be a narrative around why you're doing that. And there has to be a message, even if the message is just why we are showing you this. Um, or what we want you to do with this information. Because I think by doing that as a kind of a, ta a tactical thing, it could cause confusion, right? It's like, why am I looking at this? What does this actually mean? And is that good? Is that bad? And looking at a set of financial statements, I always say is like how I look at when my doctor gives me my blood work and they just have like a series of numbers. And I'm like, is this good? Am I going to die? What's happening? You're like, what? It, like, I have no idea what good looks like. And I think absent a definition of what good looks like, it's, it's, it's arbitrary. It's just numbers on a paper. So I think context is ent entirely important yeah. where at least to make it goals and where we're at or our progress toward our goal to motivate people into knowing how close we are to reaching it so that they can really add the story around those numbers. Yeah, I think that's huge from a partnership standpoint, having you guys as a partner to create that context. Um, I, I don't think every C CPA, um, you know, fractional CFO is created equal. You know, what did you see early on in your career that enabled you to kind of say there's a gap in this industry, this market, this service offering, and here's how we're going to bring it to the market to um, bring it to folks that need it most. 
I just saw how my firms were operating that I worked for. I saw how my peers were dealing with the industry. Like I just got to know how accounting firms operate. And I said, none of this is customer service centric. This is, we're all churning out the paperwork, turning into tax return factories. And our idea of success is the work got done. And the idea of success wasn't, did the client understand the results of the work? And we didn't take it to that step because there wasn't an incentive for the accountants to to teach it. In fact, it was actually a quote unquote waste of time to try to explain it to somebody who didn't understand. And they would say, well, they, you know, we do the tax return, we give it to them. That's all we're paid to do. And I say, yeah, but like, what if, you know, hypothetically, we charge a little bit extra but we really just kind of held their hand along the way and explained to them. And we gave them status updates and we made them feel cared for. And we made them feel less insecure that they were never going to hear from us for three months at a time. And we just created the container that would enable them to be the most successful and then just place them into that without waiting for them to tell us what they need. Because we know what, what will make the most sense and enable the most success. As opposed to waiting for them to order it, what if we just said, this is what we serve you because we know it will enable you to be successful. And we know that if you participate in this process, you will be successful uh, versus making them do a lot of the work and communicating with us. And I just noticed that so quickly that we were not taking the position of an empathetic expert and we were taking the position as an order taker. Mm-hmm. And, and there was a huge disconnect in communication happening at the stalemate between the customer who doesn't really know what to order because they're not the expert. They don't know what services they actually need. They might just feel a problem or a pain point of a big tax bill, but they don't know what to ask for. And then the accountant who's like, well, they'll ask for what they need. So I'll just do whatever they say. And very often there's a huge gap in between those two things. Mm-hmm. I love that. How, do you, how are you guys converting on that today? I, li- I love the you switch from an order taker to really a strategic partner advising and telling them what they need to solve the root cause, not just to patch a symptom and then come back the next tax year and say, here's your tax return again. Um, because if they don't understand it, they're not going to value it. They're not going to be able to use it to their advantage, their benefit. Um, how do you guys kind of find the balance between the two where you're, you know, making sure that your time is, you know, accounted for and paid for, but still getting that educational aspect in? Yeah. So we, I mean, we run a, a service with the fractional CFO service where a monthly recurring And what you're really paying for is the peace of mind and our availability to, you know, we are the part of the whole model I've adopted is we have a very small client roster, you know, less than a dozen clients. And the whole point of that is that I can think about every one of them every day if I want to. And I can look at a small list on my back home in Connecticut. I have this little like index card with with the list of all my clients because I can fit it on an index card. And I said, as soon as I can't fit it on this index card, I have too many because I want to be able to look at this list and go, is there anything going on in the world, in the industry, in the economy, in, in anything that would affect these people? Or is there anything that I need to be talking about with them? Are they moving toward their goals? Is there anything I should be working on for them that would help them? And honestly, that's what people pay for, is thinking, using my expertise to empower them to improve their business and move toward their goal, whether that's creating a valuable, sellable business, whether that's growing and scaling, um, increasing, you know, or decreasing employee turnover, whatever these things are that they really want to achieve. How can I help them do that today or this week? And I just don't think a lot of accountants or people with my background are taking that approach from a client first standpoint. 
Yeah, I definitely appreciate the quality over quantity. I think a lot of business owners, small business owners, medium business owners, it's all about that next client. And they oftentimes forget about the folks that they're currently serving. I, I saw that with previous companies that I worked at where it was just all about going after the next client. And we almost weren't able to bring the full value to the other clients. And that's what, when I went out and started my own company two years ago, that was one of the focuses we had was how do we get a stack of you know five to 10 clients that really value what we do and really run with them forward and help them build and grow and become more protected from a digital standpoint. And it served us well. And I love that you guys take that approach because it allows you to focus on their unique situation. And there's a lot of complexities that you can either avoid or you can address head on. And it sounds like you guys are, are really focused on addressing those head on for the the population that really values what you do and understands it and you can educate them and, and be a strategic partner along that path. I love that approach. Yeah, I, I look at it as uh, your financial navigation system or your person in the front seat with the map. If you're old school like me, you know, you have somebody who's going to tell you about the potholes coming up and like, oh, just be careful because there's a road construction. You might want to go the other way. If you think about having that person, it's going to make your ride a lot less rocky. Now, you're going to reach your destination, but you might get there faster or you'll get there with a better experience for sure. What a lot of people make the mistake doing is that they hand over the car keys to that professional and say, drive me, throw me in the trunk. I don't care where we go. Just get me to the destination. And that is the most dangerous thing you can do is hand over the keys to the castle or the car to uh, another to a professional, to an accountant, because they don't care about the car. They will go hit, every, hit everything on the way. They will run the red lights. They, like You'll end up with like tickets and a banged up car at the end and be like, how did this happen? <laughs> because you weren't here with hands on the wheel making sure it didn't happen. Because that's what we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be the advisor. We're not supposed to take control of everything. And I think that people take that a bit too far sometimes and they don't see the relationship that it should be where it's more of empowering you and making you a better driver than necessarily handing us the keys. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you, you help them bridge the gap between what they can control and what they can't control. And I think that is hard for a lot of business owners, especially financially, because we try to control every single cent and dollar that comes in and how it's being you know, paid toward taxes and yeah. you know, those types of activities. Um, one of the things I always like to ask, and I've had probably two, two CPAs up to this point through the two years of my business is what does financial freedom mean to them? Because it's important to me to understand how I get myself to financial freedom, you know, in the short and long term. What does financial freedom mean to you and your team? I know it might be different for every company, um, but kind of how you look at that mindset today. I'd say financial freedom for me because I think everyone has their own definition for their own financial freedom. But for me, financial freedom broadly means the ability to choose. So the ability to choose how I spend my time, the ability to choose where I am in the world, the ability to choose, um, it, you know, who I surround myself with and financial freedom is what enables that. So that if I want to live here in Costa Rica, if I want to not work anymore or be work optional, I could be, Financial freedom means to me just the ability to make that decision for myself without feeling obligated or forced into a routine or into a paradigm that I don't necessarily want to be in just because I have to or because it's what I should do. So uh, so that really is the foundation of financial freedom in my mind. Yeah, I love that. And I think it maps directly to you know lifestyle freedom. 
Um, and, and a lot of that comes down to financial and most most people's perspective. Um, you know, I think I've seen, you know, I've seen people, had people on the show, you know, making, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars a year or they're, you know, doing seven figures a year, but they're not, they don't have that freedom because they have somebody directing their day all the time. They don't really have much choice. You know, somebody owns their calendar. Um, and I think that takes them away from freedom, but they, they think they have it. Um, so I think that choice is so critical and consciously building that, that freedom is, I think, critically important. Um, what do you think that looks like? Is it being able to pay the bills, just the ability to be able to travel when you want to travel? Um, I think it's hard as a business yeah. owner because we're always chasing that next you know, goal financially or lifestyle wise. Yeah, for me, how that really manifests is for me personally is not having to look at price tags for the things that I want, need or want to do. Mm -hmm. um, you know, do I look at them? Yes. But not having to and have to make decisions based on money. So not having to say no to something because I quote unquote can't afford it, even though it's something I know is positive. I know we'll have an ROI. I know that we'll have a benefit to me and that I want to pursue, um, you know, that isn't frivolous. I would say for me, it's being able to say yes to things I want to say yes to without having to hesitate and check my bank account. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. That's incredible. Uh, I know a lot of people will, you know, they all have their own stories they're telling themselves, but this allows them to kind of come back down to earth and maybe reset that story so that they can row forward with the right mindset. So I appreciate you diving into that. Um, anything else that people should keep in mind, you know, starting a company, building a company from a financial standpoint um, that we haven't talked about yet? Yeah, I've, it's funny because I follow the, the basically the message of TLC's waterfalls, which is like, don't go chasing waterfalls, stick to the rivers and lakes that you're used to. Mm -hmm. And it's the idea that don't go trying to do all these fancy tricks or trying to keep up with the Joneses or keep up with the influencers or any of that craziness. Just you have to just master your craft and what you do with your business. Become clear on who you are and who you serve by getting out there and serving and doing and just getting out there and starting the business because there's a lot of stuff you can do that will hold you back from starting because it's not perfect or it's not completely set up or you don't have all these pieces of infrastructure in place and you're not really supposed to it's you kind of build the house around yourself based on where you decide the walls need to go based on you know where things are moving as you're building so you don't have to have it completely figured out to get started would be my core message yeah it's that's spot on. I think people want to be in the financial position before they go out and serve people. And it's it's the literally the opposite. You have to serve people and then you build that financial value from there. And I've definitely seen that play out where I was trying to strangle the financial books and really like hold them so tight and use that to better serve people as opposed to going to better serve people and those financial books become more plentiful and, and uh, you know easier to navigate from that standpoint. Shannon, it's been an incredible conversation. Really appreciate your time. One of the questions we like to round out the conversation with um, is what does being connected or connection mean to you today? Oh, being connected for me means, for me, it's like blood flow to the heart, right into the veins. It's it's feeling, by feeling connected without using its own word, that's so hard, Greg. Because I'm like, it's so easy. But 
for me, being connected is being constantly engaged, constantly mentally stimulated, constantly feeling like I'm, I'm building relationships and that things are moving forward. I always say, if you're not moving forward, you're slipping backward. There is really no neutral position with the e-brake on, like you're going to be slipping down or you have to be working to grow. So for me, being connected is the fastest way to grow. I love that. Shannon, thanks so much for your time. Uh, definitely looking forward to having folks in the community check this out and uh, looking forward to continuing the conversation. Thank you.